0: for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. I've got a quick question for you. I want to get to know you a little bit better so we can interact. I know there's kids here. Parents always get tense with that. We've got four in our family, all right? I'm cool with it. I've had kids come up on stage when we've done services. We'll be good. If your kid comes up here, take a picture. We'll smile together. I'll tell you about Jesus, all right? Here's my question for you. I want you to interact with um, how many of you here start celebrating Christmas before Thanksgiving? Some of you have been listening to Christmas songs sound like Easter, right? How many after Thanksgiving? After Thanksgiving? Good, now I got a good gauge. I know who won't raise their hand no matter what because one of those two things is true. And uh, our family, we are pretty traditional, uh, so no judgment to you if you start before Thanksgiving, but we always wait till the day after Thanksgiving. We go get a real tree. We cut it down, it's dead now, for those of you who are making fun of real trees, but um, the dogs drink all the water out of the bottom, is why it's dead, but uh, the reality is, uh, we have these traditions that kind of let us know it's time to start celebrating this time of year, and for us, we wait till after Thanksgiving, we get this tree, we come home, there's six of us in our family, and so we usually argue about what movie to turn on, even though nobody's really watching it, because we start decorating. We decorate inside, we hang up wreaths, we do all kinds of different stuff, But we argue about what movie to put on. And we almost always end up with Home Alone. (laughs) Last year as a church, we talked about what constitutes a Christmas movie. And we talked about, you know, Die Hard and and Rocky IV. And of course, Rocky IV is. We've settled that. We're not going to talk about that this year. But this year, I was thinking about how there's so many things in these Christmas movies that would never happen in real life. Have you ever thought that before? Like, that's only in the movies. So just Home Alone, for example. I think Kevin's eight. Is he eight or is he nine? It's like eight. He's, you think he's 10? Yeah, you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I appreciate that. The miracle is he didn't burn the house down, all right? He's a troubled kid. If you haven't seen that, I was a troubled kid. I can identify. People weren't going to be breaking into his house. He would have been breaking into the neighbor's house. McAllister's are loaded. I don't know why they don't just call their kid. They would probably have an alarm system in real life. Some of you prepare for home invasion. <laughs> You've got locks on your doors. You've got, you know, alarm systems and shotguns. Don't mean to offend some of you, but it's true. There are people here that have shotguns, preparing for that. I don't think if I asked you, if you're prepared for home invasion, that any of you would say, yeah, I have micro-machines. You know, matchbox cars. And once they fall on those, and there's a booby trap, and they're gonna get smacked in the face with a paint can, and how about the fact that the villains never get hurt? <laughs> Blow torch to the head, nail through the foot, yeah. <laughs> only in the movies. And some of you watch other movies. You know, Christmas with the Cranks is one that we watch. It's not exactly a classic, but it always ends with a happy ending. The daughter comes home, but sometimes in real life the daughter doesn't come home. And empty nesters are alone. How many of you here watch Hallmark movies? <laughs> I am judging you, just so you know. <laughs> They're all the same, right? You know. Rich, snotty girl leaves New York City, comes to a rural town. There's a supermodel guy chopping lumber, and he's going to teach her about the simplicity of life, and they're going to kiss at the end, and it'll snow. (laughs) Sorry if I messed up your movie tonight. (laughs) In real life, the lumberjack is like 30 years older than her. He snorts and makes funny noises, and he's gross. And she's rude at the end. But some things it seems like only in the movies. Why do we say that? It's because it seems too good to be true. And you think about your own life, and especially I think about Christmas for me. Yes, we start celebrating sooner and sooner, but for me it goes by faster and faster. And I don't know if that's what it means to be over the hill. You've got some momentum and <laughs> things are going faster now or what, but it seems that that's the case. And as you get older, sometimes you can get a little bit more cynical. And you think that, Things that are too good to be true just don't happen. Until you see them happen, I always tell my kids, real life is better than the movies. Because when something happens in real life that you couldn't predict and you didn't expect, it's maybe even miraculous, that wasn't just a figment of someone's imagination, which can be what happens in movies. And then sometimes we see it in real life. How many of you here watch the World Cup? You watch the World Cup? All right, that's a trick question. That happened during church. I see you, I see you. I know you recorded it, I'm sure, hopefully. Or you watching online. And picture-in-picture, or whatever, (laughs) and so, we love you if you're watching online. Well, what an epic story. Uh, Two of the great soccer players of our day, Mbappe from France, number 10, and Messi, Lionel Messi, probably the greatest, maybe the greatest, for those of you who might be stuck at that point if I say he is the greatest. Soccer player of all time, but Mbappe had won a World Cup, and Messi hadn't won a World Cup, and if you watched the pregame, it was all about those two individuals, which you then think what usually happens is, and somebody dominates, and then a bunch of people do stuff, and it's like, we celebrate that guy, but he didn't really do a lot, and that's not what happened. The game was epic, if you watched it. Messi scored the first goal early on in the game, and then Argentina went on to dominate for about 80 minutes. It's a 90-minute match, for those of you who don't watch any soccer. For 80 minutes, Argentina dominated. They were up 2-0 to zero in the 80th minute. And then Mbappe scored. It was 2-1. to one. Like, is there a chance? And then with almost no time left, what happened seemed almost like it was a passing of the torch. Messi was dribbling the ball up the sideline, and it was stolen from him, and then... Passed in the air to Mbappe, he strikes it out of the air. Like a Disney movie, he scores with almost no time left. They go into extra time, to which one of my kids said, it'd be awesome if they went to shootouts, but yet both teams scored again. And that's what happened. And guess what? Messi scored the first one. Then Mbappe scored the next one. And then they went to shootouts, and here I am. I'm a little over the hill. I'm not cheering for youth and athleticism. I'm cheering for wisdom. (laughs) And Argentina won in shootouts, and it was like, that's how it should be. But it felt like a Disney movie, but it was real. Sometimes things that are too good to be true actually happen. And those of you who have experienced a miracle, you know what that's like. God answers a prayer. An infertile couple has a baby. Cancer is healed. You're given a second chance. And the passage of Scripture we're looking at tonight, it's a tradition that we look at it. But it's possible to look at it and think, That's, that wouldn't really happen. That's just a made up story in an old book, kind of like you'd watch Home Alone or some part of tradition. But this really happened. And it's that God came here. It's not just about a little baby. And you think about it if you brought a Bible, which I don't expect you did, we've got verses on the screen if you're watching online or here in this room. And I'm gonna read to you from the passage that Pastor Brad read to the the kids. And some of you have heard this story since you were the size of those little kids that were up here. And you think you've got it all figured out. But here's what we're talking about this year as as our church. we have been doing this series called Illuminate and we're talking about how light breaks into our our lives. And I I think, you know, I know there's a diversity of people that are, are here tonight and that will come to all these services. And it doesn't matter if your favorite animal is a donkey or an elephant some of you picking up what I'm putting down. Doesn't matter if you're pro-choice or pro-life, doesn't matter if you like NC State or UNC or you worship a devil in blue, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? Because we can agree on this one thing. We live in a dark world and it's getting darker. And when I say that, you go, well, what do you mean by that? I don't know if I agree with you. Would you? Hey, when you live in a world where kids are dying and people are dying of hunger, and divorce is happening, and cancer is running rampant, we can all agree this is a dark world. But what we've seen in this series is we went back to the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis, the earth was formless and void, and it was empty like many people's lives. And the very first thing that God created was light. He said, let there be light, and light broke in. But then we ran to darkness. Genesis chapter three. Humans lived in perfect harmony with God in the garden and then they sinned and sin entered the world. But then in Genesis 3.15, God gives a promise and light breaks back in. And then the story of the Bible after that is that God keeps coming after his people, but his people keep loving darkness and running to darkness. And he sends prophets and light breaks in. But we run to Darkness. And the same with many of our lives, and sometimes the darkness is our pain, it's problems, it's our own sin, and God's light breaks in. And the story that we're reading tonight is about God's light breaking in. It's in Luke chapter 2, I'll read it to you even though I'm sure you've probably heard it before. It says this in verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was, Joseph didn't call ahead, no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, so now it's a new scene, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Light breaks in. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. It was his glory that had shone through. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's a danger with this passage. Some of you, even as I was reading it, could recite it, whether that was from growing up in church and hearing it in services like this, or watching Charlie Brown, like you know the verse. Is it possible there's more here for you tonight, though? Is it possible that you don't know everything there is to know about this passage and about the infinite God that this passage reveals? whose glory broke into creation shone around these people. Do you know there was a time in human history that up until 1492, so think about how long ago that was, 1492, people had thought we had reached the pinnacle of human knowledge, that the Greeks and Romans had written all there was to write. And then Columbus discovered two continents. And people thought, well, maybe we didn't know everything. Big parts of the world we didn't even know about. And then about 100 years later, Somebody, a guy named Copernicus, suggested that maybe the sun doesn't rotate around the earth, but people didn't get all upset about it. About 70 years after that, a guy named Galileo proposes it, and the Catholic Church calls him a heretic, (laughs) because he says that the earth might rotate around the sun and that we're not the center of everything. Hmm. And that was a long time ago. I think we've learned some other stuff. They didn't even have cell phones. How crazy. And so maybe in this passage tonight, God wants to say something to you. I'm going to give you a real simple outline of it. it be a real short message, but God might want to do a miracle in your life tonight. The outline just follows this. It's PSA, not a public service announcement, but problem, solution, application. What happens in this passage, I believe, is that God reveals to us our problem. Our problem today in this world, the problem that they were facing then, the problem that's happening in our own individual lives. He gives a solution to that problem. And then there's an application, a way for us to respond. So PSA, Problem, Solution, Application. The problem is that we live in darkness and also that we love that darkness. And you see it here in this passage that they're out on the field at night. We oftentimes focus on the light, but don't forget the night, the night... It's symbolic of what was happening during that time. Yeah, the shepherds are out there trying to imagine what it was like to be out there at night then. There's no electricity, so there's not ambient light coming from any city. Some of you have camped like out in the Appalachian Trail or in Wyoming or different places where you can get away from a lot of stuff. Imagine how dark it was out there. But it was even darker in the government. (laughs) We think our government has problems. They had problems. The guy that I mentioned in verse 1, Caesar Augustus, He claimed to be the son of God. People declared him to be the savior of the world. He thought he could solve everybody's problems. Listen, when you think the government can deal with soul problems, the government is not your soul problem, all right? They had a problem. They had a problem with Rome, and they had a problem with religion. You know what Jesus says about their religious leaders? He says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 24, you blind guides, now they could all see, physically see. He's calling them spiritually blind. He says, you blind guides, you, you live your lives without spiritual light. And he goes on to talk about how they live. They're straining out an ant, swallowing a camel. He says, woe to you. That's a warning from prophets. It's condemnation, hell beyond you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, you hypocrites. Woe, so the government was messed up. And so was the church. Could you even imagine such a time? Right, exactly. But it gets worse. So are their hearts. We all want something for Christmas. I don't know what you want. Some of us want really practical gifts. Somebody sent me uh, this week a website that has some different practical gifts on it. I don't know if you've seen this. If not, maybe a last minute gift idea, a Sriracha keychain. I think we have a picture of that there. In case you're at you know, somebody's house, not one that you're going to go to tonight, but somebody's house who cooks bland food, You boom, on my hip, bam, there it is, sriracha. Some of you are young parents. I also got this gift sent to me. It's called baby mop. There you go. But you'll never be able to say to them, you don't contribute anything. Like, hey, look, there you go. Well, it's pretty practical. Strap a mop to the baby. There you go. Yeah, Right. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. What I'm talking about is we have wants. We all have wants. And what happens as we get older is a lot of times, yeah, practical gifts are fun, and maybe you needed a new sweater or a throw pillow or a space heater or whatever you wanted, but a lot of times we want our problems to be solved. Or we want healing, or we want money, or we want a relationship fix, or we want... And here's the reality. What we want often reveals what we hope in. And what we hope for often shows what we hope in. But if what we hope in, not necessarily what we hope for, but if what we hope in is anything other than God, the Bible calls that idolatry. And we're all guilty of it. Idolatry is not worshiping little statues. It's any time we worship what's created rather than the creator. And the Bible says we're all guilty of that. So, yeah, there's darkness in the government. Yeah, there's pain in the world. Yeah, there's pain in our lives, but it gets worse. There's sin in our hearts. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you know what? It's worse than we like to admit. And I'm not just joking about like, social media, how we put out a better picture of ourselves than what's true, which we all do that. But the sin in our hearts is darker than we want to admit. And the Bible talks about that pretty extensively. It says in the Old Testament, King David, I was brought forth in iniquity. That means I was born into sin. And he's not talking about whether his parents were married. He's talking about he's been in sin since the moment of his conception. Since my mom conceived me. He says, David says, from birth. Jeremiah the prophet says that our hearts are desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who? Not even you know your own heart. And he calls them sick. That our hearts, we have a heart sickness because of our sin. But it gets worse it gets so bad that the Bible says that God can't even look upon sin. In Habakkuk 1.13, you who are of pure eyes. This is the prophet Habakkuk speaking to God about who he is when there's wickedness happening in a dark world all around him. He's saying, how can he even bear this? It says, you who are, pure, who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. It's not that God's not present in evil. It's not that he doesn't see the wickedness. It's that he cannot tolerate it. That's bad news. That's the problem. Solution? Well, I read it to you already. I'll read it to you again. But the solution is that God's light brings life, brings new life. He can bring that new life to you. I'll just start in verse 7. In Luke chapter 2, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds. Remember, they're out in the field in this darkness, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Hmm. Can you imagine a world without light? Hmm. Scientists talk about what would happen if the sun stopped existing, but we don't, we don't know. We know we'll all die because life is only possible with light. We don't know how long maybe the earth would run into something because the gravitational pull would be gone. Maybe it would freeze because we would get so cold so fast. Because it hasn't happened, we don't know. But there's a town in Norway, it's pronounced, I think, I don't know, no Norwegian, Rukan, kind of like Rakan, if you want to look it up later, but they don't have light for, not a drop of light touches the town for six months of the year. It was originally started in the early 1900s by an entrepreneur who, there's a waterfall there, who went there to start a hydroelectricity plant, and that's why it started at the bottom of these mountains, and it's also where it's positioned on the globe, and and there was a guy in 1913 who came up with an idea. He said, what if we put these big mirrors on top of the mountains and, and, and reflected the light back into the town, but people thought he was nuts. <laughs> and so what they did instead is they created cable cars and they would take people up because the, the factory manager said that our workers need more sunlight and so they would take people in these cable cars up to the top of the mountain so they could get exposure to the light and then they'd come back down and they'd do their work. And, and so they went to the sun rather than letting the sun come to them. 2013... They put three huge mirrors up on the mountain. That guy was ahead of his time. (laughs) Put three huge mirrors on top of those mountains and now the sun comes into the the town. Hmm. It's a lot like this life where we all can agree, regardless of what your beliefs are, what your thoughts are, what your political positions are, what your theological ideas are, that this world is broken and that it's dark, that things are not as they could be and should be and if they were, all this bad stuff wouldn't be happening. And so what we do, and sometimes our religion is education and sometimes it's philosophy and sometimes it's the economy and sometimes it's a belief system that we have that's more philosophical or theological. But we try to make our way to God, to enlightenment, to a higher power, to different things. See, that's what religion is. It's man's attempts to get the, it's like the cable car. But what we're reading about here is God's plan that God brought the light to us. Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world, the light and life to all of mankind. That's, is it too good to be true? You see, our problem is that sin so dark and the sin within us is the problem. It's not the sin around us that's the problem. Sin around us is the result of the sin within each of us. What needs to happen? It's talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness... Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, things are so bad that you can 't even see how dark your sin is without God doing a work in your life. The very fact that you 're here or you 're watching online and listening to these words is a sign that god 's light is breaking into your life, and here 's the problem with light and why we love darkness is because light exposes our sin. And we don't like to have our sin exposed. And what happens for many of us is it's like when you turn all the lights off, eventually your eyes adjust. You get used to a dark world and you get used to the sin that's in you. And then you don't want other people to know how bad it is. And then in order for you to experience the life and freedom God wants for you, you've got to let Him expose the darkness that's in you. So you've got to be honest about the truth in order to experience the freedom that God wants for you. Because the same light that exposes is the light that guides and leads you to freedom and forgiveness. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 is talking about. For God who said, the one who said, let there be light, the one who sent his son, the one who shone around the shepherds, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the solution. Problem, our sin. Solution, Jesus. Application, don't be like the people of that rock on town living in darkness. You know the ironic thing is? They interviewed people in that town after those mirrors were first put in and some people said, it's incredible. I didn't realize how depressing the darkness was. I didn't realize how much I longed for the light, but then there were other people who hated it. Said so it's a tourist trap. It's annoying. They're ugly. They preferred the darkness. The Bible says in John chapter one that Jesus Christ is the creator of the world and that he's the light of the world and that he came into the world And you'd think everything would be like, this is awesome. But it says, but people chose darkness. Sometimes you'll hear Christians or different folks at cash registers or different places, maybe in a greeting card, say, the real reason of the season is Jesus. What does that even mean? We'll show a picture of a nativity scene, and I think we miss it when we do that. Jesus is the reason for the season, but the point of the story is not a baby being born. The point of the story is a savior on a cross. And it gets real dark in his life. He gets arrested at night. Flogged, beaten, thrown in a dungeon, actually. Eventually crucified. Darkness covers the earth, and then they put him in a cave. It's dark. Three days later, Jesus is risen. Light breaks into darkness. And God wants that light to break into the darkness of your life tonight. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ... God wants to illuminate things that maybe before you have not availed yourself or been vulnerable to him exposing. And then he wants to guide you into a path of forgiveness and freedom. And so what I want us to do right now in application is to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm gonna give some of you an opportunity to respond to new life in Christ. The way you do that is you admit your sin and acknowledge your need for a savior. And so that requires some things from you. It requires honesty. You've got to be honest about your sin. And you don't have to talk about every sin you've ever done, but you have to be honest enough to acknowledge it means that you and God are not okay. His eyes are too pure to tolerate your sin. And he provided the solution when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. The reason he died on the cross wasn't because of anything he did, it's because of what you did, and he was taking the weight of your sin on the cross. And it also requires of you not only honesty, but humility. The humility to say, I can't solve my sin problem on my own. Instead, I want to trust what you've done, what you did when you went to the cross. The Bible talks about how to do that. I want to read you some verses. One I've already mentioned, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. It's not a great admission to acknowledge your sin. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. But can you acknowledge that that means that you're separated from him? Romans 6.23 says this, the wages, what we earn because of sin, is death. That means separation from God. And we'll give gifts, most of us, over the next day or so. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the way to respond to that is this. And this news sounds too good to be true, but it is. Romans 10, verse 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm. If you want to do that, will you pray this prayer with me? never trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you want to experience the forgiveness. He's shown the light into your heart to reveal the darkness of your sin, but he also wants to guide you to the path of forgiveness and freedom and new life. Will you just pray this? God, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I believe that your son Jesus is the light of the world. I've got the honesty and the humility to say to you, I need you, and I want to invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I confess that you are Lord. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the dead. You defeated death, so you can give me life, and I want new life in your Son, Jesus. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to ask, if you you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand in the air? I'm going to give you a a phone number, I see several people in the middle of the room, some people mm-hmm. off to the side raising your hand. It's not like you're just saying to God, like I just prayed that, just acknowledging it to him. Pop your hand up. I don't I don't have to see it, but he knows what's going on in your heart. In a minute, we're gonna open our eyes and we're gonna sing songs together. There's gonna be a, a number on the screen, online and in this room. And if you did that, would you just text the word Jesus to that number? And uh, we're gonna send you some information. We're not gonna show up at your house, we're not gonna do anything weird we'll give you some information about how to grow in that relationship with Jesus. That's the first step. It's like being born. But you need to learn how to feed yourself and walk. And we want to give you some guidance on that, whether you live in Raleigh or Rukon, <laughs> It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.